Hello there, and thanks so much for supporting the Music Career Show. My aim with this podcast is to help as many people as I can turn their passion for music into a career that can support them and their family by speaking to people who have actually done it and finding out how they've done it. With this in mind, I have developed my music career roadmap. This is a fully comprehensive and detailed step-by-step guide of how you can go from dreaming about your ideal career to actually implementing and living that dream. It is yours to download for free and can be found in the description of this episode. If you would like any support at any stage of your music career, you can reach out to me via email at barry at oneladmusic.com. I wish you all the best of luck and I hope you enjoy this week's episode of the Music Career Show. Welcome to the Music Career Show, telling you the stories of the world's best professional musicians. Hello there and welcome to the Music Career Show. My name is Barry and every week I'll be speaking with incredible musicians from all over the world about how they've honed their craft and made a career out of doing what they love the most. If you're a new listener, then while you still have your device in your hand, please take a second to subscribe and tell your friends all about the Hello music there and show. welcome back to the Music Career Show. So just in case you're new here, my name is Barry Carl, and every week I dive into the secrets of building a successful career in music with amazing musicians and music professionals from every sector imaginable. My aim is to get you inspired with real life stories and learn from industry insiders so that you can make your music work. Please subscribe, review and share the podcast to unlock your potential as a music pro and help me share the love as far and wide as possible. If you are perhaps a musician stuck in a nine to five lifestyle, then don't miss out on my free music career roadmap. This is a step by step guide of the exact steps I took to build my business and make music work for me. You'll find that in the description of this episode or head over to onelabmusic.com forward slash roadmap. Now, on this week's episode, I have a musician who describes herself as a musician, songwriter, and hellion riff bandit with a caffeine habit a few years too early and a date of birth a few decades too late. I think almost every one of us can identify with that, and I think we're in for a right bit of crack today. So this is Leilani Kilgore. Hello, Leilani. Hello, Barry. How are you? I'm absolutely smashing. I'm delighted now that uh, you've come on and joined me today. And for anyone only listening to the podcast, make sure you get over to YouTube and watch the video because Leilani's backdrop is absolutely savage being in Nashville and stuff. I'm in boring Aberdeen in Scotland and it's just nowhere near as cool as being in Nashville. But Leilani, for people that may not have heard of you before, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. I am a, I'm an artist here in Nashville. I play guitar. I write my own songs and I sing and I have a band. And I, I work full-time as a musician. I tour and I play locally. And that is what I do in a nutshell. Perfect. There are so many people out there that will identify with wanting to uh, have exactly what you have. So I'm buzzing to get stuck into that. So let's reverse back though for a little bit and uh, ask where did music all start for you? I grew up in a very musical household. I mean, my parents don't play, but they absolutely love music. So there was always something playing in the house. You know, school, mornings on the way to school were classic rock radio station jams. And it was just always a very prevalent part of my life. And I think being an only child, I, you know, I kind of wanted something to latch on to. I wanted something to really, you know, provide my, you know, ways to spend my time, basically. And guitar yeah. uh, just appealed to me right from the get-go. And I was lucky to have a dad, especially, who was very passionate about guitar players. And he uh, he was very encouraging. Both my parents were and they still are, so... I was lucky to be in that environment, and that's what kicked it off. Fantastic. What were the what were the bands that were on the radio that you were listening to? 
Oh, the Stones, you know, a lot of blues in my house, a lot of B.B. King and Steve Ray Vaughan, Carlos Santana, you know, everything, honestly. I mean, it was all, they have really good taste in music, luckily, you know. Yeah, fair play to them. Yeah, yeah. That, that's great. I grew up listening to the likes of Brian Adams and Van Halen and who else, like Whitesnake, Bon Jovi, all, all the good stuff. So it sounds similar enough to you. Neither of my parents play music either, but always encouraging enough to be fair, but that's great. So then when you picked up your first instrument, did you go for lessons or what happened? Yeah, I got started with classical, which was kind of a bummer because, you mm -hmm. know, I was I was going to be like, I was going to kick off and just, you know, be the next Keith Richards. I started off with classical and absolutely hated it. And I mean, like massive neck. It's like you just took a yeah. baseball bat in half. There's nylon strings. It's not a good time. I was like 10. You know, I was miserable. Yeah. But eventually, I think I got my, you know, I had an electric guitar. I started finally taking lessons geared towards, you know, or electric guitar like things when I was 12 or 13. And, and yeah, I started off like, you know, just learning the basics, learning bar chords, learning pentatonic scales, things like that. And eventually, you know, blues is what really got me hooked on, on, on learning how to play my instrument. So between that and, you know, obviously like being an angsty teenager, the white stripes really did it for me as well. So cool. I started kind of self teaching as well. Cool. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm a music teacher as well. And it breaks my heart when I have a student, a new student coming into the studio. And like you say, they've got a nylon string guitar that the neck is fucking that big on it. And they can't even get their hands around it. And it is, it's just, right. and the action, you drive a bus between it. Do you know what I mean? And it's just it breaks my heart every single time because it's so counterproductive to what you want to do. And like you saying that you hated it, like, did you ever want to, like, not did it ever make you not want to be a guitar player or did it ever put you off that much i mean i found like enjoyment in things like you know because you learn to sight read when you're playing classical right so i did find mm -hmm. a lot of you know just enough enough happiness in things like learning a piece to it's you know getting it up to speed being able to sight read along the lines and not stumble halfway through a phrase and those little accomplishments kept me going i liked the feeling of accomplishing something on the guitar and then you know kind of messing around with you know, intervals and how those work on the fretboard. So, you know, okay. it wasn't enough to want to stop doing it. I also had a had a very strict father when it came to practicing routine. Thankfully, right. I owe him probably everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, just days and days just sitting in this very hard back chair with the nylon string guitar, watching that oven timer just count down from 30 minutes every day. Wow. It was the best. Also, having that routine and having that discipline made a big difference. Yeah, I don't I know if I'd be here without that. No, sure enough. And I'd imagine that that kind of knowledge of music theory that most of us guitarists lack is kind of, it's standing well, it's standing to you well nowadays. Maybe. I mean, to be honest with you, like I'm very stubborn and uh, I think that uh, there was a lot of resistance to me actually understanding fretboard theory at the time. There still probably is. But uh, you learn along the way, man, this is actually very useful knowledge. So, you know, I still retain it a little bit, but I, I like to base all my playing off of, you know, what I'm feeling. I try to not overthink because I, you know, I studied music in college and I went to, I dropped out eventually, but Something about oh. having the academic thought process get in the way of translating the truth of what you're really trying to communicate on the instrument was kind of an issue for me. Oh, okay. What college did you go to? Uh, I went to Berkeley College of Music in Boston for two years. Okay. See, I've heard of that over this end of the world, and I've spoken to some people that have gone to Berkeley because there's one in, is there not one in California as well? Different Berkeley. Yeah, that's like a, I want to say it's like a liberal arts. I'm, I'm actually not entirely sure what that Berkeley is. But yeah, it's we actually have a running joke on the College of Music campus. We have a shirt that says Berkeley spelled our way, not Berkeley spelled the California way. Oh my God, so, my yeah, whole life is like, is a lie. I didn't realize that they were different things. Well, it's, I mean, it's very, it's, yeah, it, I completely understand the confusion there. It's a that's very silly. Mind. 
So which, which one did Ralph Macho go to? I, funnily enough, I just saw it for the first time last week. There did he go? go? <laughs> Perfect timing. I don't oh know. My God. I can't. More, even more of my life is now a lie. If he didn't go, I'm nearly certain he went, oh, fuck, I tell you, I'm going to have to go and have a word with myself. I don't know anything about anything, clearly. I Honest to God, I really thought that Ralph Macho went to Berkeley and that was how he learned how to fight with Steve Vai. Oh, fuck, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to go back and, and, and check my facts on that now. Oof. Now I'm curious. You're gonna have to, I'm going to I'm gonna have to do some research here on my own because now I feel inept because I have no idea. Oh, no, I don't feel inept. I was the one I was the one that brought it up and it turned out to be completely and utterly like false information. So if anyone should feel inept, it's me. Do you know what I mean? Well, I've let both of them down. Because I think Which? Berkeley, California doesn't, I don't need, I mean, they probably have a very, they must have a music program, I would assume, but it'd have to be Berkeley College Music, right? I would have thought so. I would have thought Neither, so. They were near the Mississippi crossroads. They're completely opposite ends of the country. Well, that's, what, so well, that, that's what I thought. Like, my, my limited knowledge of American geography. I know that Boston's over here and California's over there and then Mississippi is like what? somewhere in the middle. So that's what I was like. Let's let's say that it was in Boston because it didn't look too sunny. It didn't look too sunny where Ralph Macho was. It looked a little bit kind of miserable and there's loads of oh, Irish people right. in, in, in no, Boston. I know what you're talking Irish about. The beginning of the movie. That would have to be, that'd yeah. have to be Boston. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Let's say we that there. right. Ralph Macho learned how to fight in 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 Boston, and he went and knocked fuck out of Steve Vai at the end of the film. Fantastic, great stuff. We've arrived there. We've arrived. So <laughs> what made Boston. you? So was it like? So what was the actual catalyst for you dropping out of Berkeley? Um, yeah, I mean, I was really lucky to get in. I actually, I ended up going. It was weirdly enough a last choice for me, but I got offered a, a scholarship, which I really appreciated. My family's not well off, and you know, any financial help was considerable help. So they offered mm. me a substantial scholarship. So off I went to Boston, and I love Boston. And I don't want to, I don't necessarily want to slag Berkeley because it really is a phenomenal institution. I mean, like the yeah. amount of education that you can from you know your two to four years there is huge. The professors are incredible. I learned a lot. I think I intentionally tried to forget a lot of it, which maybe not, you know, was not the best idea. But ultimately what it came down to was besides me just going through some personal things, you know, I was on medication for depression, things like that, and decided to get off the medication, which was maybe not the right timing in my life. I coming from a blues background, that music is so important to me as a guitar because I've always struggled to successfully verbalize feelings you know i'm not mm -hmm. exactly great at expressing myself all the time so for me having an outlet like guitar where you can just you know say anything and everything without having to speak a word was huge to me it was a huge you know cathartic form of therapy for me and by my second year at berkeley i love music theory i love studying the way that music works and breaking it down to almost a scientific level i love that but i found yeah. too much of a getaway of my playing you know i would try to write a song and everything would come down to everything would come down to formula rather than mm. really to wholly express whatever story I was trying to tell or whatever feeling I was trying to emote. So by my second year, I just, I got to a point where I actually hated playing guitar and uh, oh, which is oh. odd. Yeah. yeah, I know. It's such an, it was such an odd place for me to be in because I, you know, it's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. The only thing I've really ever done professionally. So I just, I had to make a decision and the decision was, you know, either finish my next two years at school and have uh -huh. no idea where I'm going to be standing with my feeling about music by the end of it or drop out and start actually pursuing, you know, what I wanted to be doing. So that was the choice that I made. And look at you now. I think it paid off. I think it paid off. I think we did I, okay. I, I, I think you're doing okay. I think you, you seem to be doing absolutely fine. So I would imagine that kind of before Berkeley and certainly since Berkeley, you were in bands and stuff. What were some of the first bands that, that you were in? How did they come about? What was the crack? Yeah, I was in quite a few bands. I think my first ever band was called, because my name is not exactly easy to pronounce, especially for, you know, kids at a younger age, like when I was in elementary school. 
Leilani's a little tricky sometimes, you know. Well, it's for so kids, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for kids. Yeah, when you're talking about like eight and nine-year-olds, there's you, no chance. So my nickname <laughs> in elementary school due to my, at the time, I was convinced I was going to be a wolf biologist living in Alaska studying wolves. My nickname was Wolfie. And so my okay. first band in school, yeah, my first band in middle school was Wolfie and the Vampires. And we played the talent show. And I think that uh -huh. was about it. And then it was Leilani Got Lost. And we started doing some more local gigs around like the San Diego area. I was in California at this point. And yeah. we went to festivals and things like that. And that went for a while. And then I was also in a band called Cloud, which was like a classic rock cover band, which was a blast. And then those were my two bands until I went up to college. And then cool. uh, and college, I just, you know, played with whoever needed a guitar player. Fair enough. And so, so, so these bands, they all sort of seem to center around you. Was that, was that, is that true? And was that intentional? Like, had you always intended to be Leilani Kilgore as opposed to Leilani from Cloud? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And actually Cloud was my first band where I was actually a side person. And yeah, I just, I never saw myself as somebody who was anything other than center stage. I don't know if it was an ego thing or like an only child attention thing, but that was just always what I wanted to be. I mean, you know, looking up to people like Bowie and Mick Jagger. Yes. Yeah. They're just the coolest, you know, Joan Jett. So that was yeah. kind of always the plan, whether I had consciously decided it or not. Uh, that, that's class. And it is. And I, I don't think it's a bad thing that these things come down to ego, because I always think that everybody who is musical or creative or uh, that thinks they're good at anything has to have some sort of an ego about them to think, yeah, I'm good at that. I'm going to show you how. Whether it comes from a place of ego or otherwise, it, it ego has a load of negative connotations because you think of someone that has an ego, but it doesn't necessarily have to have negative connotations. There has to be some sort of realistic connotations to it as well. So I don't think that, that that's a bad thing. But then how did you fare out when you were in cloud and all of a sudden you weren't the center of attention? You were sort of, you were there to do a job. Do you know what I mean? I, well, I enjoyed it because, you know, my it was my first time really having to learn salt as they were recorded. So for that purpose, it was good. It also gave me time to focus on the performance aspect of what I was doing. You know, be a great showman, show woman, you know, whatever. And show person and you know know how to put on a show and also know how to be a team player you know i did i was there for a job and i needed to understand how to do that job i was 15 or 16 at the time and uh, it was a good i think it's good to know both sides of the coin know how to front mm. a band know how to lead a show but also know how to step back and know your role if you're not necessarily that person you know know yeah. how to support whoever in the front of the stage yeah i yeah i get that a lot and which one did you like, I, I presume you, you still prefer being the front woman, person, man, singer, front something. I don't know. You have to be careful yeah. nowadays with what you actually tell people that they are because, you know, the front. Yeah, I know. I, insert person here. Right. She, her, in case you're worried about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I honestly, I struggle with it way more now than I did when I was younger. I mean, I think I still had moments where I was like, oh, this is, you know, if I'm going to take a solo, I'm going to take that solo. Now, especially I find myself in instances because I still do work as a hired gun from time to time. I really find myself in these situations where I'm like, man, yeah, this is great. I love the gig, but, you know, I just, I want to be there. Like, I want to be doing that. So I, the, the older I get and the more affinity I have for being the person lead the circus, the, the harder I have stepping away from that. Fair enough. I understand. I, yeah, I for years struggled with, with my ego because I thought I was better than everybody else and eventually went on to form my own one-man band because I couldn't trust anyone else to do it. I was like... <laughs> I just one day I was like, so, 
So seriously, so I played drums with my feet while playing guitar and harmonica at the same time. So because I was just I love like, it. I just can't. Yeah, it was like, in fairness, it stood me in, it, it stood me in good stead because I've, my, my company is now called One Lad Music because I was called One Lad Band as opposed to One Man Band. But anyway, yeah, I thought yeah, I, 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 that was fun. That's the ultimate spite move to just be like, no, I'm not going to work with anybody. I'm going to work by myself because I can't trust anyone. That's fantastic. I, Fuck the whole world. I'm better than a lot of you. Go away. Leave me alone. I know. Terrible. See, that? that's when ego has and should have negative connotations. But hey-ho. So once you finished Berkeley, then what happened? So you, fin- you finished Berkeley and you didn't just, like, did you just go looking for jobs or did you form a band? What happened? No, I mean, I'd actually, I'd come to Nashville during my last year of high school, my senior year of high school. I was about 17 or 18. I came here first for an audition and oh. fell I fell in love with it. I was, up, I was yeah. auditioning for Belmont and... I came here, I was here for about two or three days, and I we have a straight here Broadway, probably heard of it, and mm-hmm. it's just a row of clubs, you know, and well, I think what people don't understand about Broadway is that, I mean, you know, I do this as a day job, my day job here in Nashville is, is playing down there, we call them shifts for a reason, I mean, you're literally on stage for four and a half hours, That's, that mm-hmm. is your job, or yeah. doubles, you know, on stage for eight hours, things like that, but I'd never seen, I'd never been in a city, music was so wholeheartedly embraced and very clearly a profitable means of income. And I yeah. just loved it. I bought a guitar here, which I probably couldn't afford at the time and probably still can't afford. And I something about Nashville just really struck me because I'd, I'd just never been in a place where music was so prevalent and everybody was so good. I mean, like the standard of playing is like here. So yeah. I never really stopped thinking about it. And around my the end of my third quarter in college, rounding about to my fourth, I just kept thinking about Nashville and I was like, I really, you know, music in Boston is not as active as you think it would be considering the, uh, the college campuses there. And I just yeah. kind of thought, God, we just want to go start playing music professionally and going back to gigging. And, you know, I thought that Nashville was the place to be. So I dropped out. Um, I went home for the summer, stayed with my parents, kind of got myself together. And then September of 2017, I packed everything in my CRV. And I drove across the country and I moved here and, you know, immediately started trying to do the whole live music thing. And so uh, you Americans love just packing up and just driving for days on end. You like every every single, please please don't take that in a bad way. It's just every single person from America that I've spoken to on the podcast, like, oh yeah, we drove for like eight hours to like talk to a guy. And I'm like, fuck, these are mad. I won't even drive three minutes down the road to a gig because it's easier to go into town where there's a PA system. <laughs> These are great. I love it. I love it. It's absolutely fantastic. You have a great attitude. But so, so once you got to Nashville, like I'm assuming during that summer, you sort of, you planned what your ideal sort of situation was. Like, how did you go about doing it? Did you just send emails, send texts and, or make phone calls or did you just wait? I absolutely just winged it because I didn't know anybody here and I had no idea, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. So yeah, I, I don't even know. I think somebody, a friend of a friend had a room available for rent. He was a really nice guy, fitness trainer. I was a horrible roommate. I had no idea what roommate courtesy was. And he let me live with him for a while. And during that first year, I think my first job was, I worked retail at the Johnny Cash Museum. And which is great because it's just down on Broadway. So I kind of got a sense for what was going on and what the vibe was. And yeah, and then I would just try to pick up gigs, you know, try to meet players and, you know, kind of get started. And it took me a while. I don't think it was until about like 2018 or 2019 that I really settled into it. You know, I found a band to play with, okay. a couple bands to play with. Yeah. So it did take a second, but it was, no, there was no planning. There was absolutely zero planning. And if you were to do it all again, do you think you'd have 
like if you were to reverse engineer this, so say someone is listening and they're like, oh, Leilani went and she went to Nashville so she hadn't a clue. But if you had to reverse engineer that and give someone advice on how to break into to Nashville, what would it be? Do you reckon you could do that? Yeah, I mean, actually, we have um, we have a couple of Facebook groups, you know, dedicated to ah. people who want to work full time. And, you know, probably gets a bad rap and I understand why it does. But honestly, if, if you're really trying to make a decent living, a steady living as a musician and get your chops up and learn how to learn how to, you know, fit into a band, learn how to play music on the fly, get a good ear. I think Broadway is the way to do it. So we do Facebook groups and frequently we'll have people join the group and they'll post things like, hey, I'm new to Nashville. What do I need to do? Or I'm coming to Nashville. The good thing about Nashville is it really is a community. I mean, you do obviously have snakes in the grass wherever you go, but for the most part, you know, if someone's new and they're just trying to understand how the music industry works, there's a lot of support. So if somebody says like, you know, hey, I'm, I want to I want to start off on Broadway. What do I do? We will, not we, but somebody will eventually send a list. There's a master list for all the songs you need to know that are standards down here. And the best thing you can oh, do okay. is spend the time learning those standards. You know, learn the songs, learn how to read a chart, you know, learn how to play by ear and listen to what's going on in a band and understand how to anticipate changes or watch, mm. you know, a bass player's songs if you don't know the song. Yeah, there are things that you can do. Absolutely. The other thing is, you know, everybody here is, is a gun for hire. Nobody's like... Unless you're on like a very high paying gig or something like that. Very rarely do you come across somebody who says, oh no, I only play with this one person. I mean, everybody will play with anybody. So the okay. other thing you can do is start, you know, talking to people, reaching out and they're, you know, understanding how the venues work around here because some venues work differently than others. There's so much you can do. And there is a whole community here that's, and, you know, so more than happy to just help anybody who's new in town and just needs connections. I think that's, that's the hardest thing. Come on. Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely wonderful to know. As you're saying that, I'm like literally just like ruling myself out of so many things because I'm like, yeah, I like to think that, well, no, I, I, when I was younger, I was a much better guitar player than I am now. And But I would never be able to, I don't think, keep up. Like I, most of my gigs nowadays are basically me playing in my local Irish pub and it's four chords a song and it's like it's the same four chords, really handy. And then you've got your cap up for that in the distance. So it's really easy. That sounds like a dream. Oh, it's so, when I say it's easy, it's not, not meaning that as in, oh, it's so fucking easy. But it's like compared to what you guys have to do in Nashville, like I know you've got your number system and all that kind of jazz, which I think is amazing. But you need to know what the number system is before you and how to actually use it. And that just gives me anxiety, especially for, you know, Berkeley curriculum. We learn one thing like Berkeley curriculum. I spent two years understanding as like a rule of God that yeah. if you're in a minor key, it's a one minor. Nashville, there is no such thing as a one minor. So you have to like relearn your entire number system. Yeah. It's a whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And is the number system, do you think then, is it easier or like the kind of the traditional way we call it? I mean, you have to know, you have to understand how modes work. You have to understand how relative minors and majors work. Um, once mm. you get the hang of that, it's fine. It just, you know, it, if it's, if you come in with a pre, pre-assessed notion of what the number system is, there is a little bit of readjusting. Yeah. But it, I mean, the number system, I mean, if you know a major scale, you know your intervals, you're fine. You're good. Cool. Well, maybe it wouldn't be too bad then. Maybe it wouldn't be too bad. I know a couple. God, I'm okay as far as that concerns. But I know. I think I'll. I think I'll stick to my four chords Irish songs because they're just just less. It's just less anxiety. Cool. So I know you've got some. You've got some. You've got some uh, albums and stuff and all that jazz. What was that like recordings? How did you get there? Oh, it's huge. Well, I mean, I mean, I think the most important thing to to note is while I did do original music since high school, it was crap original music. It was awful. And I did have like an album, you know, it was just very, it was very novice. Yeah. And I really kind of stopped pursuing it from the years of 
2018 to 2020 because I got a really cush cruise ship contract gig. So I would just go out oh, for three cool. months, play classic rock tunes, come home, steady paycheck. I wasn't really concerned about the old, you know, original music thing. Yeah. It was still something I thought about a lot, but it wasn't like prevalent in my focus. So once the pandemic hit and everything shut down, that's when that switch happened for me. And so realizing, like having this instance where I couldn't go do the work I was planning on doing. I started driving eight hours every weekend down to Mississippi to play a gig or two, and then eight hours back to Nashville the next day or two days later, just to keep, you know, keep playing and not lose my yeah. mind. I started thinking more and more about, hey, you know, what is it that I really want to be doing? And the answer was eventually I got to, you know, I really do want to start trying to do this thing as an original artist. The thing about Nashville is you really realize quickly, you know, what's good and what's not. And listening back to my old recordings, I realized these are so subpar. These are not the level that they need to be at at all. So I had a friend out in California and he was actually supposed to be going on a contract with me before everything shut down. And uh -huh. he reached out to me and we were just chatting. And he said, you know, I'm kind of getting into producing a little bit. He said, do you have any original songs? And I sent him a couple of demos and he said, would you be interested in flying out to California before we start this contract and just recording a few things? And I said, yeah, sure. You know, no problem. He cut me a great rate, you know, and he was a good friend. So yeah. Wednesday with him, did the first two songs I had released, Triple X Moonshine and I'm Gonna Leave You. And it was kind of my first, not my first experience, but a little more of an elevated experience recording, even though it was very bare bones. It was, you know, in his apartment. It was me, him, an engineer working on a laptop with like, you know, like something like literally like this, you know, like that oh, was yeah. the entire recording. But, you know, you start, he really did teach me a lot of things. You know, he said, can you pull up examples of what you would want drums to sound like? Can you give an example of what you want the vibe of the, you know, the production? Do you want it to be warm? Do you want it to be? So it made me really pay attention to a lot of aspects. Then in 2021, I went into like a real proper studio with some really, I mean, for Nashville and I mean, even just for everything, just some really big names that I'd met through associates who I didn't think would yeah. ever want and the time to work on music with somebody like me, but cash is king. So there you go. Absolutely, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. And seeing a really like true professional studio musicians run down tracks, knock out three tracks in like a matter of a couple of hours, understands, you know, the nuances of what you're trying to, you know, achieve with the song was huge for me. And it really actually made me, I mean, I stressed about the session, knowing who was coming in, knowing where we were working. I stressed about it for weeks. And it kind of forced me to evaluate my songwriting, my playing, my chops, because the yeah. last thing you want to do is get in a room with people like this and be subpar. So it was huge. It was really huge. And then once you do it more and more, after you start doing it more and more, the more you learn, the more you start to, you know, understand what you can really achieve in a studio space with professional musicians, you know, on a high caliber level. It, it, it's, I think it's an important learning experience for anybody who's trying to write their own music and start their own career. It's huge. Cool. Before we dive into that a little bit more, who are these big names? What the part of? did a lot of the auxiliary parts on my tracks because, you know, as an egotistical guitar player, of course, I had to play everything. But he came in and did some awesome parts. Like if you listen to like Higher Ground, he does a lot of the, like the texture parts and things like that. His name is Rob McNally. He's awesome. Okay. He's been, I mean, he's done a lot of like Buddy Guy's records and things like that. He's just oh, wow. a phenomenal player. He's done Miranda Lambert stuff. He's just, he's huge. And what's funny is like, people don't really know Studio Cats as well as they do, obviously like touring musicians, but Robert Deli yeah. is forced to be reckoned with one of my favorite people. The drummer we brought in was this guy named Craig Wright, who was Eric Church's touring drummer. I think he's still, he's done a bunch of stuff. And the bass player was Michael Rhodes. 
who has done everything from Etta James to, I mean, he's Joe Bottom Austin's basis for ages and ages. He's done everything. And he actually just passed away uh, oh. two weeks ago. Yeah, so it really just adds, adds more, you know, more weight to, I still have two songs we haven't released that he played on, so it just means all that more, much more to me. But, you know, with yeah. heavy hitting cast like this, if you look at their, if you look at their discography, it's like, Jesus Christ, like, these people have worked with, like, everybody. So that was daunting for me as a new artist. And I think that it's important for everybody to go through that, feel that kind yeah. of Yeah, I get you. When I first started doing the podcast and I was getting on to, like, people that I really admired and I used to be absolutely shitting it coming on to this i used to be absolutely breaking it because i was terrified of like doing a bad job and I, 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 as you say you get used to you really do get used to doing these things you have to get the first you have to get the first ones out of the way like like your bands back in high school and stuff you have to get the first ones out of the way to make room for the good ones and to learn and stuff like that but then how did being in how did being in a recording studio compare to being in your mate's apartment Totally different. I mean, and I'm not, I think it's Justin. Justin, if you're listening to this, please do not take anything that I'm about to say personally. It's not about you. It's just, it's a different experience. I mean, like it went from, you know, the first couple of sessions I did with him were just like a cool hang. You know, we were drinking, we were hanging out. It was just yeah. a really good time. We were just having fun with it. Studios. I mean, like, first of all, you're paying money and you need to make sure yeah. that you're not wasting that money. You're also in a room with people who are not there to just hang out. They're there to get a job done and they're going to do it well. And they know they're going to do it well. So you need to make yeah. sure that you're doing it well. It was a completely different scenario, but also, I mean, it really did make me want to push myself in every aspect. I mean, like if I went into the studio and I felt like I was half-assing something, I would tell the guy that I was working with, the producer, I said, hey, we're going to need to redo this tomorrow because yeah. whatever's happening here, if I'm not in the right headspace, if I'm not there for some reason, if my voice is blown out from a gig the night before, that's not good enough. Yeah. And make sure that everything yeah. that we do 100% and worth everyone's time. I think it's an important step for everybody to take because it makes you take yourself very seriously and your craft very yeah. seriously. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You'll know this as well as anyone if, or you'll have experienced this as, as much as anyone has that. If I do a bad gig, everyone will be like, oh, no, you were grand. You were fine. It was great. Oh, it was so good. And you're like, no, but this one song couldn't hit the key or I had to, or, do you know what I mean? And it's that one thing that you'll, and it completely ruins everything. Ruins your whole fucking weekend. You're raging for the whole weekend. But, it's such an odd thing that we do. Like, I still yeah. struggle with this. If I have something that really throws me off during a gig and I cannot stop thinking about it for the rest of the night, I will. It's almost like I will force everybody to believe, no, I really didn't do that good of a job. Listen to me complain to you about the things that I did that you didn't even notice. It's such a weird, yeah. it's such a weird mentality. It is, but I think all of us do it. I think every single musician out there in the world does it. If what, hey ho, we have to complain about something. And if we're complaining about how good we are, then that's not too bad of a thing, in fairness. I suppose that's a weird way of looking at it. But hey ho, <laughs> silver lining and all that kind of jazz. Turn everything into a learning experience and all that. But speaking of learning experiences then, so from organizing like your own bands and then eventually coordinating like recording sessions and stuff with these like really experienced guys that would have been like, I'm guessing, way more experienced than you. You're saying it was quite daunting. What lessons did you learn that you could then pass on to someone else about coordinating that? Well, I mean, I think the... And I think this applies to most things when it comes to getting into this industry, because as, as you know very well, there is no roadmap. There is no set of instructions. And so when it comes to, you know, calling people that you think, oh, they're never going to take a session with me. You know, I'm not good enough. I'm not well known enough. Or I'm never going to get into the studio with this guy. He's worked with clients way bigger than anything I have to offer. The thing that you understand and something that I still struggle with definitely is you have to get past your fear. And if you don't, if you don't ask, then there's no chance of it happening. But if you at least ask, the worst thing that's going to happen is someone says no. 
And getting past that fear and that like anxiety is the biggest thing. And I think it's what holds back a lot of people in this industry is just understanding that if you don't try, no, nothing's going to come out of it. So yeah, I mean, the best advice I can give is just, even if you don't necessarily believe in yourself, if you think that whatever you're doing is worthwhile enough and you think that it's something that, you know, it should be given the best opportunity it can be given as far as your songs, your production goes, then you need to take that chance because no one else is going to do it for you. I think that's that. That's a lovely sentiment, so I do. And I couldn't agree with you more. Like I said, same with me when I started the podcast. Like, like in fairness, I, you and me have never met. We've never had any connection. Only I saw a reel that you put on Instagram talking about having a music career. And then I went on and saw that you had a really nice Gibson SG with a white pick guard rather than the black one. And like, you've got like 10 times more subscribers than me. So as far as I'm concerned, you're like mega famous and you're like this big rock star, whereas opposed to little old me sitting in, in, this is not a studio, by the way. It looks like a studio, but it's basically a shed in my garden and I'm talking to like it's, and I love it as well like <laughs> like in fairness love it it's my happy space but it's essentially a shed do you know what I mean that's <laughs> all it's a shed yeah what well, have you got the, well there's something like 25 guitars or something out here what something is, along I mean what better like decor did you ask for that's perfect well in fairness yeah like it, see this, this is the thing is that when you're a musician like people don't understand that when you're a musician that, well, p- people can understand if like if you're a plumber you need stuff to do plumbing. You need tools and stuff. As musicians, that's my tool bag. Do you know what I mean? That's my really? tool bag. And it's all tax deductible. So you don't have to pay. So if, 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 instead of paying tax, I'll buy a guitar. Great yep. success. It's all, it's, you know what I mean? Swings and roundabouts. It has to happen one way. In fairness, there's, there, there's not very much. There, there's, it's more quantity over quality. Like all of these guitars are just based. Most of them are vintage Ibanez guitars that you can pick up for very little money. Not like what I've seen of your collection and your lovely gold tops and your camera. What else? You've got that really lovely Fender Troublemaker with the three pickups that I saw. I've never seen that one before. That is amazing. That was indeed a rare find, but hey, tax write-offs, baby. Tax write-offs. You can't go wrong. Tax write-offs, absolutely. Fucking classic. Do you do that as well in the States? Can you write off instruments and it's like for tax and stuff? Oh yes, absolutely. And that's what I tell myself every time I buy a new piece of gear. I'm just like, hey, you know what? It's gonna it's gonna it's gonna go so great for me, you know, when tax season comes around, it's so worth it. It's fine. Yeah, that's what I that's what I tell my wife as well. Speaking of Ibanez, so I read an article that you've got on your link tree and you you specifically said that you don't like Jackson or Ibanez and you don't like it's pointy and stuff like that, all that. Nothing wrong with that. That's fine. I love Ibanez. You seem to be more of a Gibson Fender gal. I would happily take all my shitey Ibanezes from 50 years ago over, I don't know, that's not true. I was going to say over one really nice size, Paul, but that's probably... Anyway, where I'm going with this, (laughs) where I'm going with this is if Ibanez offered you a signature guitar, would you take it and what would it be? Well, see, that's so hard for me. I mean, like, for example, like, I mean, not everything Ibanez does is pointy here, obviously. I mean, I have, I have, you know, a friend of mine, Josh Smith, who's a great guitar player. He has an endorsement deal with them. His guitar is very Strat-like, you know, his deal with Ibanez. Yvette, I just saw her signature model. It's very Strat. Yeah. And a lot of friends that play Ibanez's and vintage Ibanez's as well are actually quite neat. So I don't really mm. against Ibanez per se. I just, I think I've been, I think I'm a bit of a snob, that, <laughs> which I don't have the bank account to afford being a snob. But all the same, I... As we said, it's 2023. If you want to identify as a millionaire, you go, girl. Right. Manifesting, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. It's nothing. It's not that I have anything against those companies per se. And if Ivan has offered me a signature model for some reason, I would actually... I'm not familiar enough with the guitars. I would have to spend time playing through their models and understanding, you know, what makes an Ivan as 
And yeah. then maybe, yeah, because I'm sure that I know that they make quality guitars. I know that they make great products, but I just have such love for the classic Les Paul body and the humbuckers and, you know, like yeah. the telly shit. I just have such a, those have always been to me, like my dream guitars. So I think I'd have a bit of a hard time letting go of that. No, I understand. I, my, my dream guitar is like an Ibanez Destroyer, which is basically, it's like a, an Explorer type guitar. And I've never so much as held one, but I just have this. I was like, that's, that, that's what I want. Even though I've got however many there are there, I don't have a destroyer. It makes me really sad, but hey-ho. So on that note then, what would your signature guitar be from any from anyone or anything? I mean, that's, yeah, that's really tough. I don't know. I think, I mean, you know, I love the Fender Troublemaker Telly, which you mentioned. I love it because it really is a one-stop guitar. I mean, it does everything. I love the versatility of it. I love the aesthetic of it. You know, it's very mm -hmm. tough. It's very rock and roll, speed to shit now at this point. And uh, which is mm -hmm. great because in my opinion, that's like theft insurance. No one's going to want a guitar that's, you know, that's been completely stripped on the back. That's why I used to bleed on my guitars too. I was like, no one's going to steal it. It's covered in board. <laughs> but, you know, it's hard because like less pause though, you have to deal with the weight, right? Although mm. even the weight, you know, it attributes to a lot of the resonance that you get from the bodies and things like that. So that's tough. I think I would probably want, I'd probably want some kind of Les Paul, but you know, I don't, I don't know. That's a tough one. That's a really good question. Probably either something between a Les Paul or a Telly. I love what Fender did taking that, you know, like the black beauty attributes of like a 57 Les Paul and sticking that on the body of a Telly. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe like a jazz. I love a custom headstock or custom color headstock, matching headstock situation. Big fan, cool. maybe something like that. I don't know. That's a good question, though, Barry. I'll have to think about that. Do yeah. See, it's, it, 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 if I were you, what I would do is because this question doesn't have to have any basis in reality whatsoever. What I would do is I would just get on to I'd get on to Gibson and ask them to make me a Strat that had an Ibanez headstock and all that kind of stuff. Just because why not? And like like we're saying, manifest this idea, put this idea out into the world, and who knows? Do you know what I mean? I want Gibson to make me a Les Paul Telly. That's what I want. Gibson to make whatever you a Les Paul Telly. Whatever that looks like, whatever that, whatever horrific design that would be, whatever monstrosity, that yes, that's what I want. Okay, and has it got has it got a Gibson headstock or like the big 70s Fender one? Or just no further details, they can figure that out. <laughs> like, this is what I want. It's your problem now. Fucking sort it. <laughs> exactly. So is there anything that you're working on just now or any other like kind of bits of wisdom that you'd like to impart upon us before we head into a quick fire round? Things I'm working on. Yeah, I just just submitted our next single for pre-release and we will be working on the music video storyboarding for that as well. So that's a big one for me. The next song is quite different from I think everything else we've put out. It's a little more Americana roots rock. A little more Martin Poe, if you will. So looking forward to that release. So anybody who wants to stay hip to that can follow me on social media. Yeah, so we got the music video in the works. And we're also, you know, we we just got offered to open for 38 Special in Milwaukee in June. So that's going to be super exciting. Oh, cool. Yeah, so so big news there. So yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, you know, because you follow me on social media and vice versa. I mean, everything that I do is very much posted and, and promoted via that platform of <laughs> yeah. wisdom. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that like intuition is a huge thing in the industry. It's something that, you know, you need to definitely pay attention to because you always meet all kinds of people and if something's not working for you or something doesn't feel true to you, who you are, then, then reevaluate and just get used to enjoying the feeling of failure because it's gonna happen, but it's kind of a fun thing because when something goes wrong, I mean, what great, what better learning opportunity is that? Yeah, you have to get things wrong in order to get them right. I, I, I just 
don't be, don't be scared. I mean, it just honestly, like, you know, I think as long as you're enjoying what you're doing and you feel like it's the right thing, then that's what's important. Fantastic. That's wonderful. Let's head into a quick fire round just now. And as I said, these are just, just some things that have nothing to do with anything important. They're just a bit of crack. So question number one, this is a brand new one that I heard on another podcast today. And I thought it was so much fun. I said, I'm going to ask Leilani about that. What celebrity would you like to fight? That's so good. <laughs> it doesn't have to be for any reason. Like, yet, yet again, this question doesn't have to have any basis in fact. So if you decide you're going you're gonna to call out The Rock, it doesn't mean that you and Dwayne are going to face off and that Dwayne has to, if you're going to go and like fight him. But like, do you know what I mean? You're not calling him out. I'm just saying, just hypothetically. I would love to fight Andrew Tate. I really would. I just... Oh, I don't know who he is. Oh man, he's a big thing over in America. He's a better example. I think most people over here want to fight Andrew Tate. Oh, no, t t tell me why. Tell me why. Make me understand. Oh, he's, he's, he considers himself, I think he's in jail in Russia right now, which is not very helpful, but he's probably got plenty of fighting going on anyway. He, he's somebody who, who treated himself as the, you know, they are the ideal man, but this guy's like a misogynist. He's very narcissistic. He's just my least favorite person. If I really had to fight somebody, if I really had to, if I really had to go for it for no reason, even if, if I have nothing against the person. Yeah, I think a fight with, with, oh God, what's his name? I see his face. I see this? Like Christopher Walken would be great. I would love to get a fight with him. I feel like he would no one seen before. Oh you know, my God, yeah. It'd be worth fighting him just to hear his like trash talk in that like Christopher Walken type way. I don't even know if that was what Christopher Walken sounds like, but you get, you get where I'm going. Yeah, I think it'd be devastating. I think it'd be absolutely devastating. I would probably, I would be stunned. I don't think I would, I don't think I have a chance to process. <laughs> I know, it'd be so funny. You'd be like sitting there and say, oh, Christopher, you're walking now, but you won't be when I'm done with you. And then he'd say something really yeah. like clever and witty and he'd be like, anyway, right, cool, great. That was, that, that was the most fun question I've ever asked anyone. I'm so happy that I found that. <laughs> right, these are nowhere near as fun, the rest of them anyway. So we'll only do a couple of them. Okay, what is something that not a lot of people know about you? I actually got asked this not too long ago. I don't know. I'm not a terribly interesting person. I'm adopted and the I'm the oldest, but the next oldest sibling in my biological family, her name is Liliani, which is a lot of fun when our stepdad gets angry because he has to cycle through Kalea, Liliani, and Leilani. So it's kind of like this fun little roulette that happens in his brain. It's a good time. Please don't take this in an offensive way, but did your parents just have like a boggle with some syllables in it? And that's your names? <laughs> Uh, honestly, it's such a fortunate situation because it's not fair. Wrong, they're all beautiful names. They're absolutely wonderful, beautiful names. And they're not names I've ever heard over this end of the world. I just find it very, find it wonderful that they all sort of tie in and match. Oh, it's incredible. Well, I was first born and my adopted parents chose my name because they went on the honeymoon in Hawaii. And that's how that works. But right. my mom, my, my biological mom, she had my sister, my half-sister, Liliani, and her name was, unfortunately, Liliani's dad is actually Hawaiian. So that's how we got Liliani and Kalea. So it's okay. just it's this really, it's, a, yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. I mean, it's the three of us together is an impossible yeah, it must be at least 19 syllables between the three of us. No, that, that, it's the universe playing a wonderful game and just winning every time. I love it. I absolutely love it. Right, let's just do one more. This, again, is a brand new one that I heard on something earlier on, and I think it's just going to be funny. What is your favorite type of shoe? Vans or Doc Martens are my go-tos. Okay. Any particular yeah, reason? Sturdy. Doc Martens have been my go-to for as long as I can remember. You know, slip resistant. You can 
really give a good kick to someone if they're needing it. You can throw it yeah. and it'll probably do some damage, you know? That's it. That's my favorite type of shoe. That's a very bizarre question. Yeah, I thought it was funny, but I just, this is how my brain works. It's a very, it, these questions, I think, say more about me than they do about the answers that we get. But uh, yeah, so basically on that note, Christopher Walken, just keep an eye out for Doc Martens. Do you know what I mean? That's right. There we go. What better situation could I ask for? A pair of Doc Martens and a ring with Christopher Walken. I think that would be the most phenomenal fight. <laughs> I'm just sorry. I, my, the name of this episode is definitely going to be about like bathering Christopher Walken or something like that. I don't know. I'm going to have to think of that, but it's going to be hilarious. Anybody looking for anything to do with Christopher Walken is like, Seaside's problem, was it? That'd be my first move. So take your boots off, throw them at Christopher Martin. I think that's a strong start. Ah, yeah, you can't go wrong. Yeah, yeah, you can't. Uh, look, Christopher Walken, you're going to batter him with your shoes that you walk in. I mean, Do you know it's, I mean? it's truly poetic. It is this has to happen. Christopher, give a shout. Call me. Like, Do you know what I mean? We'll make this happen. Imagine how how many hits on TikTok and YouTube that would get. Like, we, no, no oh, one would ever need to walk again. It'd be amazing. There we go. You Especially can have that one for free. Especially what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus, right? Okay, Delani, before we finish up really quick, where can people find you online? And if they want to get in touch, they want to hire you to, I'm not going to say fight people, but they want to hire you to play music or something like that. Where can people find you? Uh, my website is LeilaniKilgore.com. And also my Instagram is LeilaniKilgore. And my Facebook is mm-hmm. LeilaniKilgore. And those are, they have, they have every form of contact you could ever dream of if somebody wanted to get in touch with me. Fantastic, nice and simple. Lelani, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks very much. All right, thank you so much. That was the Music Career Show. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends about the Music Career Show.